With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Isn't he six foot five? Is he? Because I, I so I, I googled uh, Harlan's height, but it gives it you in meters, so I've converted it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a fair point, isn't it? So it's one point nine um, meters. Six, it says six four. One point nine four meters or six feet four inches. So transfer marks got him as one meter ninety five. Ooh. And in feet, that might tip it. That'll tip him over. Then what? It's like, that'll, that'll no, that, that, it, that's no. It's six four. It's definitely six ah, three. Is it? Definitely too short. Ah, you know what I've done. Uh, when you what? put it into Google, it says six point three nine uh, seven. Yeah. 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 So six point three f- uh, feet tall isn't six foot three. There we go. Right. Okay. Yeah. So what are we going with? Six foot five. Six, no, six point three <laughs> nine feet. So it's six foot. F- if you're rounding up, it's six foot four. Yeah. It's okay. Six foot. Well, well, we'll go with six foot four then. <laughs> this is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from City's Week. It's your club, and this is your show. If the Premier League win at Bournemouth was a bit of a tense affair, then the FA Cup victory at Luton was anything but. It's funny how a 6 foot 4 88 kilo battering ram smashing the ball into the net five times can lift the mood a little, isn't it? We'll be reviewing both of those games on today's Blue Moon podcast. Plus, it's that time of the season again so soon. The Manchester derby is back upon us, so we'll be looking ahead to that. It's also nearly 20 years since the first time City met United at Eastlands, so Sam Rosbottom's here to cast a nostalgic eye over that win from 2004. And with the second leg of the tie with Copenhagen to preview as well. On top of that, we're going to take a look at some special lines of commentary delivered over City games. There's been a sense that City often gets a bit of a raw deal from those on the mic, so we're going to celebrate the moments that have stayed with us down the years. All of that on the way, so let's introduce the guests. I'm David Mooney. With me this week is City fan Joe Butterfield. Hi, how's it going? Not too bad, thanks Joe. And from Sporting News, Tom Farrell. Hello, mate. Um, I was alright till I found out that I am currently weighing a little bit more than Erling Haaland, who's about twice my height. So <laughs> that's good for the ego. Oh, God, yeah, I'd not even thought about that. I, I Yeah, I, I, I weigh a lot more than him, but there we go. Um, we're, we're recording this on the 29th of February, which is uh, the leap day. Um, do either of you two know uh, the City player that holds the uh, Premier League record for the only player that was born on the 29th of February to score a Premier League hat-trick? That is the most obscure stat <laughs> I can possibly imagine. Don't say I never do my research. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I, I have no idea whatsoever. Paolo Wanchop? Yeah, Literally just name someone who scored a Premier League hat-trick. You've got Paolo a chance. You? Uh, it's, go. not, it's not Wanchop, no. The Costa Rican god is not uh, is, is not the, uh, <laughs> the the hat-trick scorer from the 29th um, February. Um, Erling Haaland. It's not Erling Haaland. It's not his birthday. It's uh, it's Ferran Torres. There you go. Right. Yeah. Wow. Remember him. Yeah, remember him. Newcastle away. Scott Carson played. That was the headline. Um, 
Let's talk about the uh, the games with Luton and uh, Bournemouth then. Uh, this episode of the Blooming Podcast is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sport venues are showing every single televised City fixture over the 23-24 season. So that means if you're not going to the Manchester Derby this weekend, you can catch it in a Green King Sport pub. And that goes for the Copenhagen game in midweek as well. And with more than 900 sports pubs across the UK, it doesn't matter where you're based. You can see every single minute of the action. If you download the Green King Sport app, you won't just get 10% off all drinks anytime there's a match on TV. But this month, there's also thousands of pints of free Guinness to be won and the chance to win one of six holidays. Um, let's start then with uh, the week that was really dumb because it's uh, it, it's a difficult one, this, to, to group these games together because they were just so different in terms of performances. Um, what's your read on how City are playing at the moment? <laughs> that's, that's a very good question. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, I... I think I'm. I, I don't know if I spoke to you about this previously or during the games or whatever. But there's a, an awful lot of coverage of City at the moment that is of the big runs about to happen. And if you look at across all competitions, 16 wins out of 18 undefeated with two draws. Um, I mean, it's happening, isn't it? They, it kind of looks like it. it, it looks like it, doesn't it? Yeah. If it sounds um, like a duck and quacks like it, what, what's the phrase? It's not if it sounds like a duck and quacks like a duck. That's the same thing. What am I talking quacks, about? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's walk like a duck and talk like a. No, that's not right either. What is walk it? And, walk like a duck and quack like a duck. <laughs> yes, that's um, it. Yeah. If the duck talks, I mean that's exciting, isn't it? Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So it's um, undoubtedly if if you you know you, you have a scan down soccer base or your um, football database online of choice. There's just a big line of W's and no defeats in the 6th of December. So they must be playing great. But I tell you what, those um four Premier those those four Premier League games before the Luton FA Cup game, Everton, Chelsea, Brentford, Bournemouth, all pretty stodgy, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Um and are these two away games at Copenhagen and Luton where um where everyone was treated to half an hour of Jack Grealish before his groin pinged? Is that all is that all a mirage? Is that how important is Grealish and all that? I think Grealish was fundamental to how they started against Copenhagen, probably less so against Luton. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny to say it's hard to get a read on how a team that have won 16 out of 18 in an unbeaten run are playing. But before the Luton game, I'd have said not well. Um, I think this is the sort of thing that if anyone outside of the City bubble listened to it, would think this is the most ridiculous bit of navel gazing you ever heard. But <laughs> there, there, there is no doubt that um, over the prior to the Luton game, you were thinking this doesn't look great. And also, that's the the other side of this long, long run is um, it's not resulted in pulling clear at the top of the league because Liverpool and Arsenal are both playing very well. Mm. And I think we're getting into that time of the season where you judge your team's performances by their title rivals, and you know. Arsenal had that, that incredible thing where they become the first ever Premier League team to score at least two goals in seven consecutive halves of football, which is kind of mad. Um, and obviously Liverpool are on a bit of a roll with because um, Jurgen Klopp's invented picking young players or something. Um, so yeah, uh, it's I think City's form exists in that context. Um, so it was handy to have the um, from City's point of view, it was handy to have that goal glut at Luton because. That's what the other two have been doing, and City have kind of been existing in binary before that. Yeah, um, it, it's interesting, Joe, as well, because uh, like like Dom says, performance wise, um, you look at the game at Luton, 
I don't know if Luton played into City's hands or City were just really, really good, one or the other, um, or maybe a bit of both, you know. And then you look at Bournemouth, it was, like, like Dom says again, really, really stodgy, possibly because of the way Bournemouth set up and the way that they, that they frustrated City, and possibly because City were out of sorts. I mean, I, I think I heard at one point Guardiola's instructions on about 80 minutes at Bournemouth was, you know, start the car. We've we got to get out of here, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was, it was it's been an odd one. I think I, I agree with pretty much everything that, Dom said there in terms of like the recent performances and stuff, but the the the, the Luton game felt like quite a departure from the previous ones in the sense that we actually we had a lot of chances to score and, I, and despite the way that we've been playing in those previous games, we have we have had chances to score. It's just that for whatever reason, whether it's Harlan not having his shooting boots on at the moment, well, obviously until until Luton, um, or, or just as a simple case of other teams defending quite well, we've had our chances to score. Um, and on Luton, it just felt like we 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 took most of the chances that we had. Obviously, Harland, like a lot of the shots that he had that were, I think recently he's been sort of hitting the ball. He's been more focused because he's had a couple of games where he hasn't scored at all. I think the um, the Chelsea game in particular probably hit him pretty hard in terms of having all those chances to put one away and didn't really do it. He's It felt like against Bournemouth that he was more just focused on maybe hitting the shot on target just to get just to get that sort of I'm hitting shots on target confidence in the game rather than anything else. I know poor, um, poor Tim Cruel. Like there were so many that went through him, but at such a speed that they might have killed him if they caught absolutely, him right. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So 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 when it came to Luton, it was he was hitting him on target. But he was also absolutely smashing him to the point where it was like you you do well to keep him out. So I think it's the the Luton game. I think they did kind of play into our hands because I, I expected Luton, particularly at Luton, to really do what they've been doing in the league and just sort of like bunker down, make it a really physical battle and just sort of, you know, give City something that they're not really necessarily comfortable with to worry about. But instead, they played quite open, really. It was strange to sort of see us carving through the the, the, the defence in a way that we haven't done with a lot of other game, against a lot of other teams who, who are quite happy to... It, the, the the way to, it's it's been a bit of sort of a feature of City full stop is that you know we see so many teams sit back and sort of put ten men behind the ball and as, for you know as much as nine times out of ten we will eventually find a way through and win those games realistically your best chance of beating City is putting ten men behind the ball and then just hoping for a lucky break or a counter um, Luton just didn't do that which I, 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 you know maybe they're just not as fussed about the FA Cup and obviously with their with what's going on in the league for them that's probably not necessarily a bad shout for them um but yeah the 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 Bournemouth game isn't the Luton game feels like it's a bit of an isolated game in the context of the last month or so whereas whereas the 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 Bournemouth game feels more like part of a pattern of, of performances that we've seen over the last month and hopefully you know going into a game this weekend which we'll which we'll get into later in the pod a game this weekend where the team we're playing against are sort of conceding shots for fun. Hopefully, we can sort of turn what we've we've seen in the FA Cup this week into into something that we actually see again in the league as well. Yeah, um, let's talk about Harland, Dom, because uh, he's become the first player to score five for City on two separate occasions, um, and he's only—it's been a season and a half. It's ridiculous already. Um, he hasn't felt as inevitable in front of goal this season, so I wonder how much he needed a night like Tuesday. You know, yeah, massively, um, <clears throat> because I think after the the third minute or whatever it was when he opened the scoring, he quickly felt pretty inevitable again. And then how much is that inevitability tied to being the same team as De Bruyne? Because, you know, there's been there's been lots of things you guys have gone over on the podcast, like from the problems of Gundian not being around anymore to 
balance of the team, control versus the more attacking players in there. The signings last summer, maybe not all completely gelling, but is it as simple as the City have missed a combined seven months of De Bruyne and Haaland? Mm. Um, and now they're both back. So, I mean, is it, I, I think maybe, we, and this is a product of the Guardiola era, we all sort of like getting into the granular detail of, of how they're sort of breaking teams down um, and the way he goes about it with little subtle changes all the time. And that's been amazing sort of to, to watch. I mean, you know, speaking from my point of view professionally, I feel like I, I feel like Guardiola changed the way I try and watch and, you know, pretty moderately analyse football. I and mean, I think he's, you know, it's it's been amazing. But then maybe you miss the obvious of a guy who scores all the time and a guy who assists all the time just playing together and having an on-field thing where they've clicked from their first game together. That's it's just huge, really, um, and it can probably paper over things that aren't working as well in the team at the moment. Yeah, and when you look at, at that relationship, Joe, for for the Luton game especially, there was Harland said afterwards about I think it was uh, the third goal that he chipped over Cruel. I've, I'm getting them all mixed up now, mm. um, but that one he never once looked at where the ball was before it arrived at his feet, and he said so afterwards. He just knew that if he made that run, De Bruyne would play him in, and then to kind of combine that with the confidence, he'd missed a couple of those uh, kind of he'd, he'd missed one where he'd gone through on Cruel uh, a bit earlier on, and then this time he got through. He was just like, okay, well I'll just sit you down and chip it over you. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's 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 that sort of difference in finishes, wasn't it, that we saw? Obviously, for there were a couple that he just absolutely blasted at them, but that that sort of chipped finish over Cruel was just like a that, that's 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 confidence, isn't it? That's that's something that he's definitely sort of got back in the game with those first couple of goals. And on the on the relationship side of things as well, I think it's I think he just knows De Bruyne is just the perfect kind of player to have in the same team as Erling Haaland because if someone makes a run ahead of him, De Bruyne is the kind of player who will will see that run. And, and know where it's ending up and kind of have an instinctive idea in his head of what that player is going to do or the movement they're going to make. And I think that's something that even though we've seen a lot more, I think it's kind of what the, the main reason why he's missed that as well is because it's meant that De Bruyne's replacement has been Julian Alvarez. And obviously that's like a big topic of, of discussion at the moment amongst City fans, like, you know, Alvarez playing in central midfield and stuff like that. But I think I think it's just ultimately, it, it, Alvarez brings quite a lot when he's playing through the middle but what he doesn't really bring is that is what Foden and De Bruyne do which is that sort of that that creative forward thinking sort of I'm going to try and find the striker kind of um that that kind of pass because obviously Alvarez is one of the strikers so he kind of doesn't really look for the same things and and having De Bruyne inside who's literal first usually his first thought when he has the ball is how quickly can I get this to Erling Haaland and that's having having him in the side is obviously the easiest way to do it. And and you know when you're someone like Haaland who knows exactly knows that De Bruyne can do that, then he, he, when you've got someone who's played when you're playing against a team like Luton who weren't playing a particularly deep line, you have plenty of space to run into behind the centre backs. Like that's that's probably that's probably his dream setup, isn't it? To just have just have De Bruyne feeding through balls through to him like the whole night and um, being able to yeah just just have multiple opportunities to score. Yeah, and you know what? You know what doesn't get said enough, Dom, in a really weird way. That is uh, a real asset of uh, of having Harland in the team. He's never offside for a man who who lives on that line. He never gets caught offside. Yeah, and not back. He's excellent at that. Has, has he been caught offside once this season or something? Yeah, preposterous. Um, yeah, and like cause there was the check on, I believe it was. 
the second or third goal. Um, they, they kind of, of yeah. <laughs> they, they blur one of the first half ones. And so normally when you sort of, you know, there's a, oh, it'll be checked. You, you kind of think, oh, oh, where are we here? The fact it was a Harlem goal, I just thought, well, there's no way he'll be offside because he just isn't. Um, yeah, that's like for all the... It's funny with Harlem because like the conversation about his hold-up play and what he brings, what he can do outside of the box and how that might have taken away from other stuff that he did, you know, as we've seen in recent weeks, not a great finish with his head. Could probably be better with his right foot, but it's like... God, we make this guy sound shit who scores loads and loads of goals, don't we? Um, <laughs> right, right, donkey, isn't he? Yeah. But there's, there's, there's clearly so much that he does to an unbelievable standard. I mean, like his his movement on the first goal, like that that's only a tap. Well, it's not a tapping because, as you say, he smashed everything to the net apart from his dink finish for the third. That's only a simple finish because of his movement. That is so incredible, and he's he's so, always so tuned in on that on that side of it. And part of that movement is you can't catch him offside and. And the thing is, I mean, I know like Mengi, uh, who, who was marking him, who, you know, bless him, I, I had a good old crack here on Tuesday, but that was like <laughs> horrible. It, 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 you couldn't really say he had a stinker, but say when Haaland's on and that's what you got to deal with, you know, when you play in a team like City who are looking through balls, like catch, catching a striker offside can give you a bit of respite, but he doesn't even give him that. And, it's, and that then leads to scrambled bits of thinking on the neck attack and the neck attack. So it's like, yeah, it's um it's a pretty special sixth sense he has and it's not by accident. I think I think a, I think a large part of it as well is just that he doesn't he doesn't have to be offside. Like when you're someone who's got the pace and strength that he's got, you can probably afford to give a defender a yard or two ahead of you and just know that you're absolutely not offside. Because if it yeah. comes to a foot race between Haaland and any centre back in the Premier League, with probably the exception of maybe Prime Van Dyke, like you're looking at, he's looking at pretty comfortably winning that battle nine times out of ten. So I think he can absolutely afford to just give himself the extra sort of safety net to know that he's not offside. And if it comes to a through ball that he's being played through to him, if it's over more than like five or ten yards, he'll probably back himself to just beat anybody in a foot race and 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 sort of avoid the problem of is he isn't he offside. Yeah, or even as we've seen with the goal against Brighton last year and the Everton goal this year with Jared Brantway, <laughs> even if he's not, even if he's behind the centre back, he'll just mow over them and <laughs> yeah. carry on. Run through, money. I mean, that, that, that's a totally fair point, Joe makes, but it's like there are so many strikers who have loads of pace who get caught offside all the time, and you think, why are you doing that? I mean, going back to um, an era I think you're going to talk about later on, David, is um, Nicholas and Elka was offside. An absurd amount for someone so strong and fast. I mm. always thought, but yeah. um, yeah, he just he, he doesn't robot, isn't he? Yeah, um, you've just reminded me as well, Dom. Like, like the idea that his first goal was a tap in, but he just like he hit it so hard that he doesn't really know his own strength. Uh, just yeah, like, yeah, re- a reminded bit. <laughs> reminded me of a guy that I once worked with who uh, was just this really big, strong guy who again didn't know his own strength. Once just pulled the fridge door off in the kitchen. <laughs> I think I, I think there is an element of. The size, there's the, the very the, the particular dimensions of Kenilworth Road and the camera and all the rest of it. <laughs> that every, there's there's an element in some of those games where everything looks like it's been kicked a bit too hard. Like when um when they played Liverpool in a bit of a crazy game, they've had they've had some mad games against the top teams there this year. Pretty much every shot Darwin Nunes had looked like the ground wasn't big enough for it, <laughs> and there was no no knowing where it was going to land. And um, yeah, so it, it's um. It's a pretty mad 
ground to watch football on the telly from, I think. Yeah, I just had this image of Haaland walking back into the living room with the fridge door in his hand going, I've done it again. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you can imagine that, can't you? Yeah. Well, he, he gets through a lot of milk, doesn't he? So, yeah, it's, that's going to have to be a pretty robust fridge. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, the one thing I did notice, Dom, um, certainly it, it was more obvious against Luton because uh, they were successful at it, but they, they were trying it a, a lot against uh, against Bournemouth as well, and it wasn't really sticking there. Um, City are very happy to go direct to him at the moment as well. They, they're, they're quite happy for a team to go man to with them and we'll and go well okay well Edison or Ortega we'll just play it straight up to Haaland yeah Guardiola's gone full Barclays hasn't he yeah um, it's nice uh, no I think it's probably handy to see them doing it because I think not to get too far ahead of ourselves it's probably something that might come in handy at Anfield because you'd expect the Liverpool press to be very very good that day but um, how effective is it it goes back to what we're saying about the, the hold up play and I think this is where De Bruyne is absolutely key because I think Haaland getting long, but getting a direct pass when De Bruyne is not in the team, it's like he'll he'll try and bring the ball down, he'll try and bring someone else into play, and then have a look. Just De Bruyne, De Bruyne's very presence means he's thinking, I'm laying it off there and I'm going, and like the like there are a couple of grandmasters who are like two moves ahead. So yeah, that 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 sort of more direct approach with De Bruyne there, it's like it really is much more effective. Yeah. Um, let's talk injuries, Joe, because uh, we've already been talking quite extensively about uh, De Bruyne playing. He obviously got 90 minutes against uh, Luton and it kind of put everybody's mind at rest that when Guardiola said there were niggles in the hamstring, it's actually all right. There were just niggles and nothing else. Yeah. Um, but equally, they've lost Grealish again. Um, so like, what's what, what, what are you feeling about all of that? And the Grealish thing was just, it was horrible, wasn't it? I think, I mean, obviously seeing Grealish just go off injured in the way they did at Copenhagen, it was just frustrating from our point of view to sort of like see how good it had been for 20 minutes and then just to see it, you know, through no fault of his own. Well, maybe it is fault of his own. Guardiola kind of intimated after the game, didn't he, that if you, if you, if you come on and you go off injured within 20 minutes, it's because you weren't ready. So I don't know who he was. I don't know if that was a swipe at his own physios and the fitness teams or like, or if that was a swipe at Grealish himself. I don't know, but... I think on this occasion it was just it was just impossible to watch it and not just feel really really bad for him because I think he looked broken when he came off. Like it was that image of him just, on the bench with the with the coat over his head. It was just like oh yeah, mate. the coat over his head. There's a, there's another one that sort of come out afterwards where he's just sort of sat on the bench with Foden next to him, sort of with his arm around him, and he's just staring into space and he's just like it, you can see that he's just his, his head. I don't. It feels like with Grealish this season, it's more. It's or it's just as much like the sort of the, the the mental struggles that he's having as well as the physical struggles. Obviously, like the injuries probably haven't helped that because I think he's had time out the team and in that time out, um, Jeremy Doku very much became flavor of the month while he wasn't there and everybody sort of started going, well, what does Jack Grealish give us compared to this guy and blah blah blah. And that that that's probably I think footballers find it difficult to completely block out that kind of noise and for someone like Grealish who talked in his first season about you know am I even having those sort of Having that identity crisis when he took, when he joined the club of am I good enough to play for Manchester City? Sort of seeing seeing half the fan base go well, no, not really. When they see Jeremy Doku play football, like it probably that that has probably had some kind of impact on him. Um, and then obviously repeated injuries like coming back against Copenhagen, going off and then coming back to Luton and then going off again straight away. Obviously, a bit earlier in the season there was the whole thing with the breaking in his at his home. I don't know. It feels like he's just having a really sort of mentally draining season for him and 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 that that reaction on the bench against Luton was probably a bit of a culmination of all that but I just I just 
I hope they sort of, I hope for his sake they kind of keep him out a l- as much as we'd all want to see him back in as soon as possible because of the you know the nature of the running of games that we've got coming up soon. I think if they can give him an extra week or an extra week and a bit or two weeks, then 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 do it because I want to see him come back and see him you know be be absolutely guaranteed to, to to remain fit or as or as close to guaranteed as you can be, rather than another situation where we get excited about having him back and then he goes off again very quickly. But yeah, I think it's just it's just. It's just it's just horrible to see it. I just I don't like seeing him go down at all. And obviously, it, it's it's another. It looks like we're probably going to go into most of this horrific run in May without him, if not the whole uh, May March. Sorry, with, with without him, if not if not the whole of March. Yeah, maybe he's so upset upset because at this stage he pretty much realizes Guardiola is going to make him move in with Doctor Kuga in Barcelona. Um, <laughs> just yeah. I mean, uh, and if that ever happened, that'd be a good one for City TV to go and film, wouldn't it? Sort of Jack Grealish living. With a preeminent surgeon in Barcelona, um, yeah, yeah, good well, concept. Come in there somewhere, yeah, Unbel- yeah, proper odd couple, be great. Yeah, the the mix up when uh, Grealish is having to perform surgery and then uh, Kugat's named on the wing for City is uh, <laughs> it, it, it's ready to go, isn't it? Now, do you use a VPN? VPNs can keep you protected when you're working in public by hiding your IP address, and they allow you to use public Wi-Fi spots safely. You can also use the internet freely in places that restrict content and censor access, and you can share files safely because your connection is encrypted. It's not just about browsing safely either. With a VPN, you can access content from home while you're abroad. Don't let those paid subscriptions go to waste while you're overseas. So if you're going to miss one of City's games because you're not in the country, you can easily stream it with a VPN. If that sounds appealing, then why not try NordVPN? It's easy to use, you can connect in one click or you can turn on auto connection to do it automatically. There are more than 6,000 servers in 61 countries to join, so you can find one near you for better speed or you can connect elsewhere to browse freely. You can also get NordVPN on every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, macOS and Linux. Even your Android TV supports NordVPN if you want to use it on that. One NordVPN account protects up to six devices as well, so you don't need to have separate accounts on separate subscriptions for each device in the household. If you want to try it, you can do, and you can help the Blue Moon podcast at the same time. Sign up at nordvpn.com forward slash Blue Moon, and you'll get four extra months free. You'll also have the Nord 30-day money-back guarantee, meaning you can try it, and if you're not satisfied in the first 30 days, you'll get your money back. Head over to nordvpn.com forward slash Blue Moon for more details and to sign up for four extra months free. We've put the link in the episode description as well. That's nordvpn.com forward slash blue moon. Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Dom, let's talk about the other the other options in midfield um, because Rodri was given a rest against Luton. Uh, usually that's an issue. For Do you know the last time actually that they won without Rodri in the team? It wasn't this season, was it? Was it, was, it... It, was, it was Huddersfield about, about six weeks ago. So, but apart from oh, that, right, it was enough. a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it just wasn't an issue at Luton. Um, normally it is. So why was that? Um, I think Kovacic is really good. Um, and I think that's kind of gone under the radar a bit because he lost his mind at Arsenal. Um, <laughs> and he didn't play great at Wolves the week before. But generally... He's a really lovely, tidy footballer and having him playing in there when you've got Stone sort of backing it up and carrying the ball in the midfield and you've got Bernardo coming inside because Nunes is doing a bit of donkey work out on the wing. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think that was important to because, like you say, obviously I've clearly already erased that Huddersfield FA Cup game from my from my brain. But you know, Luton have been a team who've been effective against good sides this season. So I think that probably was important that against decent opposition, they showed they can play really well without Rodri there. Because you think back to last season, um, like the, the derby, the, the corresponding victory from this weekend's one, uh, the 6-3, Rodri pulled up in the warm-up there, didn't he? And that was a case of, all right, just chuck Gundy and back in the holding midfield and off you go. Can you imagine Rodri pulled up in the warm-up for a big game this season? Like Everyone would lose their mind. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, I think Kovacic played really well there. I really like him. I mean, obviously, he has fitness issues, but he came with them. And that, that that's kind of just something City have got to wear. And you're probably not going to get a guy of that quality at his age for the cheap price they did if it wasn't for the fact that there's a bit of a flaw in there. But yeah, it, it, it shouldn't... It probably shouldn't have taken this long for them to look so normal without Rodri there. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of credit goes to Kovacic there. Yeah, there's uh, there's the other player there that uh, Dom mentioned, uh, Joe, in uh, Matthias Nunes, uh, who I think's had a really strange week because I can't decide if he's played well in these two games. And like, it, it's one of them where like you, you look at what he contributed and you're like, well, okay, he's been really good for the structure. He kept the ball really well. He carried it quite tidily. And then at the same time, you're like, well, he could have done this better. Could have done that better. So it's been a really odd week for him. Yeah, I've I'm quite I've been quite happy with with Nunes really on the whole this season to be honest and I think the last couple of games haven't really been haven't really given me any sort of cause for concern I think it's it's just we all kind of the the problem with these these kind of players particularly in the roles that Kovacic and Nunes play obviously Kovacic is a lot more a lot more seasoned and a lot more like set like he's he's done a lot more games at the at the highest level of football so he's obviously eased into his role in the team quite a lot quite a lot quicker but if you think about where Nunes has been before this he he started his career relatively late in terms of playing first team football for for a club in sport in Lisbon and then has obviously then come to um come to Wolves where he's I don't think I don't think at Wolves he's probably had the best coaching that he could have really got like in the, over the last over the last year or so so um I think yeah it's, it, he's obviously learning the the job as he's going and pretty much every signing that Pep Guardiola makes takes a year or so to really like get to their you know get to the level that we signed them for because they always have to sort of go through that that phase of you know sitting on the bench and watching the games play out sort of learning through watching and then playing the odd game here and there and then going into it. And I think Pep also likes to, as we've seen with Nunes, put people in a lot of different positions on the pitch so they get a bit more of an appreciation of what... So say Nunes playing on the wing, for example, like obviously his primary position you would hope in future is going to be playing in the eight. So he's going to have to have a bit more of appreciation of what the wingers are looking to do or the moves they're looking to make and, and playing out there. I think he did it with Foden, didn't he, at left back at one point, um, sort of giving him that idea of... So you get more of an appreciation of what everyone's job on the pitch actually is. And he's been given that kind of education, for lack of a better word, and hopefully that'll stand him in pretty good stead for next year. Because I do think Nunes is—he's a lot of people seem pretty kind of neh on him. Like he's like he's he's fine, but he's not doing anything particularly exciting, and that's and that's probably fair. But you know, it's his first season at the club, and it's is it's it's going to be that way. Um, obviously, it's just as well that Kovacic has it's just as well that Kovacic has settled in a lot more quickly than him. But for Nunes, I'm given his given his age and sort of the number of top level games he actually has played, which despite being in his mid-20s isn't really that many um yeah I'm, I'm quite happy with how he's coming on 
Yeah, and then of course you've got, um, as Dom said, Stones kind of stepping in there and, and helping out. He's had a he's had an incredible couple of games because um, it, it was him getting to the byline on both sides against Bournemouth that got City in behind in the first half. And then uh, when the Luton game came around, they just kind of went, "Oh well, sod it. We'll just we'll just have Stones running straight through the middle this time." Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, I think Stones is. That's what kind of frustrated me about the Chelsea game a couple of weeks ago. We've seen we we always see whenever Stones plays just how I think Akanji coming into centre mid in his in his place is like is fine. He he comes in, he does a decent job. Like he'll come, he does. He's not. It's not like putting Ruben Diaz running into the middle of midfield where as he won't do that same kind of stuff. Imagine. Um, Oh god, yeah, him just him just slide tackling everyone in the in the edge of the opposition penalty area. Do it for the grass. Um, yeah. <laughs> whereas whereas Stones like yeah, Stones has just got that midfield assurance. It's like it, it's it's strange how like how just how it's it's not normal how good he is at being a central midfielder despite being a centre back. Um and structurally is just so important for what the team want to do that to see him miss out on a big game like Chelsea in, in, in favour of the Copenhagen game before it, where you probably could have got away with putting a kanji in the mid in, in that role was really frustrating. So yeah, seeing Seen him have that that game against Luton, and you know it, it kind of showed that that's what we're missing. You know, hopefully he can make it. Hopefully he can make it to the the United game as well. Because I think we've seen that when he when he does start, it's kind of like in and out, and he's been been not being able to play too many games on the spin. So I'm hoping that he'll be actually back in for the United game rather than having you know the Bournemouth game and, and this Luton game having sort of ruled him out of that. But um, yeah, he's he's just so structurally. We've we've known this all season. It's but it's why sort of the the fact that he's not as a mainstay at this part of the season is a bit of an issue with us going into the sort of run of the season we're going to, but hopefully this, this next month is where he cements himself as that mainstay. Yeah. Dom, um, it's, I guess it's ultimately about getting players like stones, like Bernardo um, into those kind of positions in the central midfield, the, 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 the tight spaces. And you want the, you want the players who are good on the ball in tight spaces there, don't you? To, to kind of just control the, the what, what city have struggled to control this season. Yeah, and I think so. As Joe says, like Akanji isn't a disaster in there. I think the reason he gets to do the job is he's positionally really sound, and he's he knows where he should be. Where you know, in terms of the movements, in terms of where he should be out of possession, all the rest of it. But when he gets the ball and he's got to play three hundred and sixty degrees, you can see the cogs turning a bit. Stones is just ridiculously smooth in there. Um, Stones yeah. is just ridiculously smooth anywhere, mate. Yeah, look, yeah. Look at him. Yeah, Rolls Royce of a man. The smoothest man ever out of South Yorkshire, without a doubt. Um, with your know, honourable mention to Jarvis Cocker, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, and maybe and to go back to the Nunes thing, you know that that is for all the. Um, I mean, my main thing was I was surprised that Guardiola didn't roll out Nunes on the left wing for the first time at Anfield, you know, just for team sheet banter. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I've just remembered the Gundogan experiment from what was it, 2017, 2018? 2018, oh yeah, yeah, that, that, that was good. That was a good night out. Um, yeah, so, but Nunes playing that, you know, when Nunes played wide at Bournemouth, it facilitated Foden being inside. And when he did it at Luton, it meant that Bernardo could tuck in. Now, the, particularly with Grealish being out, City are probably in a situation where Foden and Bernardo are the two best in form wide attackers, but they're also the two guys. You don't want too far away from the middle, particularly without you know in the post-Gundian era. So yeah, um, it's 
Yeah, I think it's kind of a bit of a Guardiola fundamental, isn't it? To get as many of the good players in the middle as possible. Um, there was an extreme version of that in that away game at Brentford, which is one of the best performances of the calendar year. So, yeah, um, yeah, more of the same, I think, in that regard, definitely. Yeah, and just finally for the first part, Dom, I just want to give a shout out to the two goalkeepers this week because uh, Edison with a big save uh, on about 80 minutes from a, a Bournemouth corner um, and Ortega with a, I mean, his, his footwork has been immaculate anyway. He gave one away in that in that Luton game, but, other, but you know, occasionally you make a, a mistake like that. Ultimately, his footwork was fantastic and then he pulls off a, a, a fantastic save in the second half. Um, a, a, a double save, that is two very different types of save. Yeah, I mean, your educated eye would know better than, than me. But in terms of like pure goalkeeping, shot stopping, like the goalkeeping stuff, Ortega's better than Edison, isn't he? I Yeah, I think so. I do think so. Yeah. Um, and obviously, unfortunately for Ortega, he's fantastic with the ball at his feet, feet as well. But, you know, if we're talking about Haaland being a robot and a freak, um, there's one right at the other end of the team as well, because Edison's just just different level. And, you know, I think... If, 30, 40 years from now, I think that might still remain the case. He's obscene. But yeah, um, they, they have stepped up with big saves. I think overall there's been, and maybe this has been necessitated by those sort of stodgy performances we referred to earlier, but a lot more of like the the mucky, grubby defending has started being done. I mean, I know that uh, against Everton, that was the first time the Champions League final back four had all started together, but they all played in the wrong position. Um, against Brentford, that was the back four, and I don't think they get out of the Brentford game without those guys in there. You know, Akanji and Aki, are, I think, are always a little bit underrated. Um, and yeah, there, there was a big sort of fuss about the lack of clean sheets, but um, it's weird because the, the defending's kind of got worse, but now the clean sheets have started. This, to is, this up, is what so I was yeah. going to say: Are they defending better because they've got clean sheets, but the goalies are going to do a lot of work? Or <laughs> when it was like the old. They were doing the old Claudio Bravo form, formula of one shot on target, one goal conceded. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think all of those defenders being back and playing together, Stone's been back. The goalie's looking on form because the thing is, you can that does that surely helps the defense when you see Ortega and Edison, you know, sort of shelling peas behind them. That's a confidence thing, and yeah, it, it feels like it does feel like it's been a good week for the whole defensive unit, really. Like in terms of the, they've all got to do important work whereas City can sometimes go through a week of games where it's kind of crushed velvet slippers and smoking jackets for the back four but that's not been the case lately yeah well uh, we'll find out if that's going to be the case on Sunday it will be the 21st Manchester derby played at the Etihad in the Premier League and the 24th there in all competitions when City moved to Eastlands in 2003 nobody would have expected their record against United to be as good as it is but given City's dominance in the league table in the last decade or more you might be surprised that the record isn't quite as good as you think it should be still with me not sure in the league both have won nine drawn two and lost nine at the Etihad and including cup games United have a slight advantage and as it's nearly 20 years since the first meeting between these sides at this stadium, Sam Rosbottom has dipped into our archives to hear from the scorers from that day. It's safe to say March 2004 was a completely different time. The Simpsons was still on BBC Two in the UK. Jose Mourinho and Rafa Benitez were yet to manage in England. The Nokia 2600 dominated the mobile phone market. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King was still on at the cinema. And the Cha-Cha Slide by DJ Casper was the UK number one. Oh, 
and City were struggling in the Premier League. The first season at the new city of Manchester Stadium had been underwhelming. An early exit from the Wafer Cup set things off to a bad start before the team went on a run of no wins in 14 Premier League games. When United came to town, City were three points above the relegation zone. Nobody really expected what happened next. I remember all of it, I remember the build up to it, I remember obviously being the first game, everyone was uh, excited and it was a big, uh, a big deal at the time and obviously we managed to give me the nod that I was playing, I sorted the tickets out for the family so to speak and uh, and then once again luckily enough got the, the second goal, I suppose uh, I'd like to think the important goal that won the game <laughs> but we won 4-1 didn't we so it was, a, no, it was a fantastic performance, it was, a, it was a real good performance. That. That's former City striker John Macken. He'd been in and out of the team all season, but he started this one. After Robbie Fowler opened the scoring, he hooked in City second. You go in with belief. You know, it's your first game. You, you know it's a derby. Derbies are always going to be exciting, kind of like a cup game, really. You know, because it's uh, you want to go and you want to do well, and you you know you want to get one over on your rivals, and, that, and that's what we did. And you know, fortunately, we was a better side on the day. You know, all over the pitch, and you know, we the, the scoreline reflects that, I suppose. It was a special goal for him because he was scoring against the club where he started his career. It's always nice. You, you know, you you don't tend to. Uh, play well, you know. When you play your own teams, you want to go and you want to, you know, put in a good performance because you want to show them what you know they, you know, they're missing, so to speak, or not missing, but what you know what you could have done for them. So, and uh, when, you, when you get your goal and you know you enjoy it in your own little way. Shortly after Macken made it two 0 Paul Scholes pulled a goal back for United. That made it a bit of a tense end to the first half, and Kevin Keegan made changes at the break to try and take control of the game. One of his subs, Trevor Sinclair added City's third. It was a dream come true that, I have to say, it was uh, an ambition that I'd had from a kid. And, you know, Manchester United were very successful when I was growing up and for, for the majority of my career. And, um, you know, I'd always dreamed about scoring a goal against them, and uh, especially in the light of Man City. So, yeah, to envisage that and to realise that, it was, it was an amazing feeling. He explains how the goal was a bit of a relief. I wasn't having a great time at City at the time. My form wasn't good and I was struggling to get into the side. And, Team were quite playing quite well, and it was all a bit of a struggle. And I remember Steve, McMahon, I think it was Steve McManaman and uh, Claudio Reyna come off for subs at half time, and, and Kevin went, "You coming on?" And I just remember going to the toilet. I'm not really a religious person, but I went to the toilet and I prayed. Just give me one 45 minutes um, of a good performance, and obviously went back out there. I think they got a goal back to make it 2-1, and then I scored to make it 3-1 and open that two-two goal cushion up. So yeah, I was delighted to score that. Only first and only time I've ever took a shirt off celebrating a goal, and it, I think it just shown the emotion that was involved and. Um, yeah, it was a big moment for me. Probably one of the most uh, passionate, got, the most passionate I felt after scoring a goal and the most emotional. He, like Macken, was extra motivated for the Manchester derby because he grew up a City fan. It was a game that you didn't really have to um, get me up for. It was always, um, listen, you know, as a Mank, you always wanted to do well against your rivals. You see it against clubs where you've been released or where they've you know, let you go or whatever and you think you want to prove something. Man United was always that for me and um, yeah, I seem to always raise my game against them. The icing on the cake for that win came in stoppage time. Sean Wright Phillips added a spectacular fourth for City after chasing a clearance down the right flank. Oh, well, to be honest, I actually thought the ball was going to roll out. So like, I was kind of jogging at first and then when I realised it was going to stay in, I just thought, um, let me just go on a run here and maybe we can get something from here. But when I got to the box, there was nobody really in there. 
So I thought if I if I get half a yard and get a nice connection, possibly I could cause a problem that it happened to fly in the top corner. That goal came with an iconic celebration, a robot dance. Wright Phillips explains why he did it. Well, I was with my cousin at a family event and um, there were some people doing some strange dances in there and one of the people, family members was doing that dance. So I said to him, if I, if I, when I score my next goal, I said to him, I'll, I'll do that for you. And he said, yeah, right, whatever. So I thought, at first I wasn't actually going to do it, but I thought I promised him, so I just got out. I felt pretty embarrassed after it, though. That completed a 4-1 City win in the first ever Manchester derby at Eastlands. They would finish the season with 41 points, an eight-point clear of the bottom three in 16th place. There weren't many things to shout about in that 2003-04 season, but that victory over United certainly stands out as one of the highlights. Hi, I'm John Macken and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. That was Sam Ross Bottom looking back on that first Manchester derby at the Etihad, the City Manchester Stadium, as it was then. Um, Joe, this sorts of illustrates how the tables have turned because everything that we were hoping for going into that derby in 2004 is kind of like what I'm hearing from United now. A bit like I've been speaking to colleagues and friends who are United fans, and I, all I keep hearing is, "I just hope we don't get battered." And it just took me back to that sort of like that first one at. at, at the City of Manchester Stadium, the last one at Main Road, thinking, "Oh, just win it for the occasion, please, God, do something! Like, don't, don't, be, don't humiliate yourselves, yourselves now." Yeah, it almost felt like a bit of a cup final back then, didn't it? It was like it was, it was the one fixture that everyone would sort of look forward to. Is like, a, well, I say, not not look forward to because it's really looking forward to it. But it was the one fixture where you'd sort of be like, if there's anything that we can get from this season that will like, that will feel good, that will fit, that, that that will be like a a a big win. That's it, and that's and that's kind of obviously United aren't quite at that level yet in terms of where they are in the um, in the in the in the football in the in the Premier League table. But yeah. on the shitness scale, def- yeah, yeah, the shit the shitness scale. They're still they're still they're, they're on the way there. They're, they're, they're getting down there, um, but they're they're kind of at the point where, like say, like we were. It's just it's just don't get battered. Like the a lot of the my United sporting mates who I've been speaking to have been saying exactly the same thing that they're fully expecting to concede at least three or four goals on Sunday. And it's kind of like, we just want to sort of keep it to a respectable scoreline. And I think that that's kind of, like I say, it's just, it's even though the the, the places in the table haven't sort of, the, the disparity of that isn't quite as big as it was back in 2003 when we were playing against them. Like it's still, they're still feeling that same gulf between the two teams. And that's, yeah. it is, it is very straight. If you'd have told any City fan back then that that's where we'll be in 20 years time, um, I think you'd have a lot of people just questioning your sanity, basically. Yeah, I think we should say, Dom, as well, that uh, while United are shit at the moment, they're not as shit now as City were then. So, like, it, it, it was it was a big scalp for City back then. Oh, yeah, massively. Um, yeah, without, without a doubt. I mean, so, like, that season, um, the only thing you had to write home about City really was, and I know you covered this on the pod recently, uh, the... The comeback for the ages at Tottenham, um, 
Of course, that set up a fifth round trip to Old Trafford where City lost to 10 men. So, <laughs> As you do. <laughs> yeah, so it kind of, the only thing that City had to crawl about that season, United had ruined anyway. Um, and yeah, it's like a couple of things that sort of spring to mind of like a sign of the times and then and now is, so I remember I was in Upper Sixth at Cardinal Langley then. Um, and I remember hearing a teacher and one, because it'd been in North Manchester, it's like, it was quite red. Um, one of the teachers and one of the one of the other sixth form was like talking about you know, are we going to beat him again? Like you know, as United fans, and so the one said, oh, we're going to do the treble over him because it would have been three wins. It's like the treble. The I'm like, God, these lot just go on about trebles all the time. Can you <laughs> and, imagine? And now, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. So I was thinking, well, I think he sod that, but um, but then film expecting to happen. And the other thing um I remember was. Um, and this is this might be something that you think about in a commentary feature as well. Like think bits of television coverage that stick in your mind. You've watched the video back a lot. On I think it was like Sky's highlight, some highlights, probably Sky's. There was a bit like the recording of this game I had. They did a bit where they were vox popping the fans beforehand, and there was a fellow who started off saying, "No disrespect to City." But which is, <laughs> no disrespect always prefaces something stunning. Really disrespectful. Disrespect, this was yeah. no disrespect to City, but I think United. I think United win six nil. Van Nistelrooy double hat trick. Now, um, nowadays, there's one team that scores six goals in derbies, and there is a striker who literally gets very close to double hat tricks. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a. As I say, as Joe says, the disparity in the table isn't what it was, but. It is a mad one. And yeah, City were nowhere near them at that time. Um, and even, I mean, on the game itself, it was only really Trevor Sinclair's goal where you thought, oh, hang on, actually. Yeah. The, 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 this this might be done now because, yes, City was so flimsy under Keegan that year. And basically, you know, been tuned up was like great crack. But then as soon as Skull scored, you think, all right, here we go then. Yeah. Um, and there's been plenty of derbies where City have had a 2 0 lead. Mm, yeah, yeah. But, oh, well, maybe the mistake Skulls made there was scoring in the first half. Because yes, yeah, yeah. 2-0 two, <laughs> is not a dangerous scoreline. That's nonsense. Unless it's at home in a Manchester derby, where it is perilous. Yeah, yeah. So I better hope it's either one or three on uh, on Sunday. Um, <laughs> let's let's preview that game shortly. But uh, before we do... Oh, wow. It's a quiz! On 20 years of Manchester derbies... At the Etihad. There we go. Uh, See, this didn't make the notes. Uh, it didn't. No, I, I, I conspicuously <laughs> kept the questions away from you because I thought if you had the answers, you might do a little bit better than normal. Yeah, um, make it easy, wouldn't it? Yeah, um, Joe, you've not, uh, you've not done a quiz for a while, so uh, I'm going to let you have the choice. Would you like to go first or second? Um, I'll go. I'll go first. Why not? Excellent. Okay, pick a number one to six. Uh, we'll go Vincent Company, number four. Number four, okay. Uh, who missed a penalty against United in May 2007, blowing the chance to score City's first home goal in five months? Oh my god, 2007. I'm just going to have to pick a name here. Uh, Craig Bellamy. It wasn't. Dom, do you remember? The rise for sell. It was indeed. No confidence whatsoever. Smacked it straight at Edwin van der Sar. There we are. So swinging yeah, a miss. He, he, he took it with the confidence of a man who less than who uh, less than a year earlier had missed a vital penalty for England. <laughs> oh no, no, it was, few, it was Euro 2004, a few years earlier. But yeah, it it not got any better at them. Yeah. Uh, so uh, no points there. Dom, over to you. 
Uh, five, please. Question number five. Okay, who was the first City goalkeeper to keep a clean sheet against United at the Etihad? Oh, that's a good one. Joe Hart? No. It was Casper Schmeichel. Oh, yeah, 1-0, the Giovanni one. Yeah, it was yeah. indeed, yeah. Okay, so 0-0 still. Uh, clean Joe, sheets all round, eh? Yeah, clean sheets all round. Uh, Joe, <laughs> over to you. I'll go number one. Number one, okay. How many different Manchester United managers have lost at the Etihad? Oh, God. Um, so, Fergie has. Um, Moyes almost certainly did. Mourinho did. Van Gaal did. Five, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say five. It's close, but there's one missing. Can you name who it is, uh, Dom? It's Solskjaer and Tenaga. They all have, haven't they? Uh, they haven't. No, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has never lost it. Uh, never yeah, lost that's what, that's um, what, that's what I was thinking. So, <laughs> I, so is, I went, I, I was thinking, amazing, I, was thinking I was thinking Fergie, Fergie 1, Moyes 2, Mourinho 3, Tenag 4 and Van Gaal 5. Yeah, and Ralph Rangnick as well. Oh, of uh, course. There you go. Okay, so still nil-nil. Dom, over to you. Uh, 2, 3 and 6 available. 6, please. Number six. Okay, which City player has scored with a shot from the furthest distance out against United at the Etihad? Oh, right. Is it Giovanni? I will accept Giovanni, and the reason why I'll accept Giovanni is because it's either him or Alexander Kolarov, because on the still images, it looks like they're both about the same distance out. Kolarov's on the wing, though, isn't it? Yeah, free so... Kick. So uh, like, I, I, I'm, I'm minded to say Kolarov scored from the greatest distance, but I can't exactly prove it, so I will accept Giovanni as well. Giovanni would have been my guess as well. <laughs> good, 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 uh, good rigour with the, uh, the accurate answer there. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so 1-0. Over to you, uh, Joe, for the final choice. What do you like? Uh, number uh, two or number three? Uh, I'll go number two. Number two. Who is the only City player ever to be sent off in a Manchester derby at the Etihad? Company. It is Vincent Company. 1-1. One, one. Okay, Dom, you can win it here. Question number three. Who is the only City manager in the last 20 years that never beat United at the Etihad? Oh, right, okay. Um... Hmm. Oh, Mark Hughes. It is Mark Hughes. Yeah, there we go. Okay, Dom just about squeaks it 2-1. Uh, congratulations all round. I did have a tiebreak question uh, ready, um, which I mean, I always, I always say this because ever since I've started writing tiebreaks, we've never needed one. Um, so I'm going to give it you anyway. Uh, how many different <laughs> players have represented City in a Manchester derby at the Etihad? Uh, closest wins. So uh, Dom, you won. So you have a, you have a stab. Oh God, I mean, don't know. 180. <laughs> and Joe, uh, I'll go 100. I'll go 181. I, wrong way, I'm afraid. 114. Oh, not that many. Yeah, not that many. Because yes, yeah, I guess yeah, that, that doesn't take into account that City have been pretty stable for the last sort of decade. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I, I, I seem to remember sort of like around the time City first moved to the Etihad, it was like United had about 12 lads who'd played derbies, and City had about 50 because they're just like always changing, and they were stable and won everything. Again, how times change. How times change, indeed. There we go. 
You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk This is the Blue Moon Podcast, and we're very sorry about that. So then, let's actually talk about the games coming up then. Uh, Joe, does it matter what United do this weekend? Um, And the reason why I ask that is because I'm not sure they can do much else other than sit deep and and try and hit City on the break and take the chances. Whereas for City, it feels like it's either the City team that turned up against Bournemouth or the City team that turned up against Luton. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I think it's with United, like I mentioned before, with the number of shots that they're conceding at the moment. I think as some some like they've conceded, did they concede like twenty three shots against Fulham? They've conceded like high teens, if not low twenties, against you know Luton, Sheffield, Burnley, like all these teams that a, a team that's got the aspirations that United do should really be keeping at arm's length and and not necessarily struggling with defensively, but they just seem to be incapable of keeping. They're getting clean sheets in some on some occasions, but they're, they're, they're certainly not playing well defensively. So even if they do sit back, which I think is pretty much the only way that they can go, like Ten Hag doesn't have the experience of getting them set up to do that. Like Ten Hag's sort of way of playing football is very... I think towards the beginning of last season, he was getting a lot of praise for being a bit more pragmatic about things. But as the time's gone on since then, we've kind of seen that he's really sort of rigid in how he gets the United playing. He doesn't really have much of a plan B outside of his usual. And I think with the with the loss of with the loss of Hoyland from that front three, you know, they're they're gonna be looking at playing Rashford up front, Marci um, not Martial, sorry, um Antony on the on the wing and then Garnaccio on the wing as well, which is which is a front three that looks a lot less scary than Garnaccio, Rashford on the left and, and Hoyland up front. So even the counter attacking they'll obviously have Garnaccio for pace and Rashford for pace as well up front, but it's not the most clinical front line that you could be looking at going the other way in terms of counter-attacking. So I think United will probably United will probably try to just push us and maybe sort of try to hopefully go for that. I say hopefully because it means we can probably exploit it, but they'll hopefully try and sort of match us and see what they can do. But I think if they sit if they sit deep, I think with their current defensive problems, they're still going to be having they're still going to be having big issues because their injury list doesn't look too kind to them and the form that some of the defense and midfield are in at the moment is not is not great. So it, it, I think it all comes down to us. If you know, if we get, if we if we show up at our our game controlling best and sort of create a lot, you know, and Harland has got his shooting boots back on, then we could be looking at another pretty a pretty offensive scoreline for United, to be honest. But I think otherwise, otherwise it can it can we can be in a position where maybe maybe it's nil nil at half time and we're all looking a bit we're all looking at each other thinking this is a bit ropey. Here. But with any luck, we'll have a couple of goals early on. Yeah, Dom, the, the the problem, I guess, comes from City is that one of the big issues they've had this season is controlling teams when, when the transitions are happening. And if United are trying to do that, when you've got players like... I mean, Garnacho is the one that I think possibly scares me the most, given that he's he has caused City problems on the transition in the past when City could control them. This season, they're less effective at that. And you kind of look at, at what United might try and do there. 
Yeah, I think Ganacho have been particularly dangerous when, and United in general, because they. It's a funny thing with judging United's form because every Manchester United defeat is like a big sort of comic event. Um, I mean, the Fulham one is like finding new ways to lose in an amusing fashion. But they were unbeaten in 2024 before that. Um, as Joe alluded to, there's a big injury list. And I think Hoyland is, is a big miss there because I think part of... So having seen a bit of them on their their unbeaten run, um, having a settled front four of Hoyland as like an actual focal point. We've got Nacho and Rashford on the wings and Fernandez having people to hit in front of him with through balls just worked really well. Um, while like guys like Garnacho and Fernandez and Rashford sort of still carry an individual threat on the break, I, I think it's less concerning from a City point of view because I'm not sure how, how it functions as a unit because you know Rashford's going to have to play at centre forward where he he isn't as natural, so that that takes away his threat out, from out wide and also means they've got a less effective centre forward, certainly less effective in all like the build up stuff and link, knitting things together than Hoyland was. So. Yeah, I think, and don't get me wrong, derbies can hinge on these sort of things, but I think United are kind of, at the moment, because of their injuries, are kind of left with wanting a moment of magic from one of those forward players I mentioned. In, in terms of like an actual game plan to take City apart, it, it doesn't feel like they're as well tooled up to do that on the break as, like, say, the United Solskjaer teams were. Um and whether that's down to injuries or whether that's not a great comment on Eric Ten Hag that actually Solskjaer's United look better equipped to get results in these games than his does right now. Yeah. Um, for you, Dom, stones into midfield for that extra body or uh, the wingers coming in and the fullbacks pushing wide because either way, it doesn't really feel like United will do anything different than than try and counter-attack. So I just I just kind of wonder if you need to, to do the, the stones thing if you've got the, 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 um, the, the fullbacks holding the wide positions. Obviously, that, that's assuming Gvardiol's fit. Um, I... I think Stones in the midfield, just on the very, very basic point that... He's been playing City, really well recently, yeah. Yeah, all of City's best performances over the last year have come with doing that. Um, and and as we just discussed, like he can do it in different ways. The way he did it at Bournemouth was totally different to the way he did it at Luton. Um, so yeah, definitely do that. Um, it makes a lot of the people around him play better. Um, I I'm not as opposed to the fullbacks pushing on as some people are, and I think it worked really well at Brentford, but I think that is particularly something to do against teams who are playing a back five, which, due to a lack of available defenders, I don't think United will do. Yeah. Um, with Grealish out, Joe, and we talked about the, the options on the, the wing earlier on, um, uh, can Guardiola afford to just kind of chuck Doku in there as a bit of a live wire? Or, again, he kind of looking for that Nunes thing for the structure? I don't know. No, I I personally don't think you can put Doku in the side for this. Um, I have pretty strong feelings on Doku in big games this season. And um, the the fact that we failed to win a single one that he started is a pretty damning statistic um, on that side of things. I think we'd ro- I'd much rather see the a, a front three that's more similar to the Bournemouth game where it's Foden on the left and... Um, or well, what looked like it was going to be Foden on the left and Bernardo on the right. And I, I'd rather see that with um, De Bruyne... Kovacic and Rodri than um, than than anything else. Like mm. I, I think we just need to go for our players that are, are most set up to to control the game and just to sort of keep 
basically make sure that we keep possession and because if they, ultimately United's whether 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 or not we think that there's much threat going there or not United's realistically best chance of getting us is going to be on the transition and is going to be winning the ball in their own half quickly releasing it up the other end of the pitch and just seeing what they can do and I just think having a player like Doku who as much as he's good at terrorizing the defense and would probably give whoever puts whoever United decides to put out a right back a pretty horrid game I think that ultimately what he does is still very high risk in a way that is is it means that you end up turning the ball over quite a lot which if you're playing against a team that is going to pretty much depend on that counter-attacking threat um with 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 a lot of pace going the other way because Garnacho and Rashford are not are not slow players then um then I think having Doku in the side is just more of a even against a team that we we, we might not particularly rate in United at the moment um I think that I think it's just too much of a risk. The the, the 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 possible negatives for me outweigh what he does bring, and what he does bring at the moment, in based on his recent performances, is not a great deal. Like his 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 goal and assist numbers outside that Bournemouth game are not great. So I think for me for me I would I would rather I would rather put Foden out there um, and and have him and Bernardo sort of controlling things on either wing. And if he wants to put Alvarez and De Bruyne in the middle and put Haaland up front. That's not what I would do. As as I've said, I would put De Bruyne up front with with Kovacic and Rodri around him because I just think that I think that setup of Kovacic and Rodri just works really well in these kind of games. Yeah, I was going to ask Dom after he was uh, sensationally dropped from a Premier League starting eleven uh, for Bournemouth. Is there is there room for Alvarez in there? I mean, he's maybe the one that I expect to play because whenever there's a vacancy there, you know, if any of the the attacking midfielders are out, he tends to get in. Um, Guardiola loves him. Um, he certainly the intensity he'd provide with his pressing um, could give that United defense kittens, and he, you know he's he'll be well tuned in for a derby atmosphere. But I I agree with Joe. I'd like to see Kovacic play. Um, yeah. I think just from the point of view that I just had a quick look through. Um, Haaland hasn't started a Premier League game with both Kovacic and De Bruyne. Um, and it'd be kind of nice to see how that shakes out because with Kovacic there, you get the extra element of control that he can bring in sort of his play deeper. But as you said, he he really looks for Haaland. Like it's noticeable how much he does. And obviously we don't need to say any more about De Bruyne and, ha- and, De- and Haaland's link up. So put those two in there together, then it could be a pretty fruitful day for Haaland. Yeah. Um, a quick word on, on Copenhagen as well, Joe. Um, I don't think it really matters whether whether City had scored late on in that one because I think 3-1 or 2-1 doesn't really change how Guardiola will view it because he'll still be yeah. kind of nervous about how, how it could go wrong. So I, I'm kind of wondering how you think the week shapes up with United, then Copenhagen and then Liverpool, given that Guardiola's likely to want his best team out for all three. I think... I think if there is going to be one where we will see some rotation, it'll be Copenhagen. But I think obviously the the the, the level of rotation with just a one or two goal lead, like I'm with you. I think three one is three one is better, but it's still not. You know, it's not. Let's put our feet up and put the kids out for the for the second leg kind of kind of scoreline. Um, I think we'll see we'll see a couple of players maybe rotate in that that we might not have seen if it had only been two one. But I still think ultimately the 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 bulk and the spine of that squad will be pretty much the same we'll still see Haaland play De Bruyne I'm not a hundred percent because I think if you're gonna if you're gonna sort of say that he played 90 minutes against Luton as well I think I think putting him for four starts in a row with sort of the intensity that will inevitably be there with the inevitably be there with both United and Liverpool is Copenhagen is probably one that he can sit out but I think Rodri as well is going to start all of them. Diaz, 
Ake probably maybe maybe Walker will start at least two of them. I think it's just yeah you're looking at you're looking at the bulk of our best eleven start in that Copenhagen game, but it does allow us it does allow us some ability to maybe rotate out a couple of them here and there. Maybe if, if Guardiola's close to being fit, maybe he does come in for that Copenhagen game. I'm I'm, I'm not sure, um, but it also means that if we get one or two goals on early in the game. That means it gets to a point where we can just start subbing people off and getting them rested for Liverpool. I yeah. think if it was two one, I think if it was two one and we go in, we go in at halftime one nil up, and the score is three one on aggregate, then we probably stick with a lot of that team and just keep going. Whereas I think if we go open, if we go in at halftime one nil up against Copenhagen with it being four one on aggregate, then I think that's the point where we can probably start bringing off you know De Bruyne. We can start bringing off like Foden, Bernardo, the lot, whichever whichever of the big the big ones start. I think we can start to think about bringing them off and giving them a bit more of a rest before Liverpool. But realistically, with Liverpool, they're probably looking more. They're probably a bit more concerned about the fact that they're going to they're going away to Prague on the Thursday than us playing at home to Copenhagen. So I think we should still be we should still be in a better shape than Liverpool, no matter what we do on on on, on Wednesday, really. Yeah, and still somehow lose it. I don't know how that happens, um, <laughs> Dom. Uh, there, there's, I guess, there's room for for this as well because uh, City have managed minutes quite well when you look back at this week. Because Rodri got the the whole game off against Luton. De Bruyne has been out for a few for a few games before that game, and then got ninety minutes to to kind of help with his rhythm. I, I'm wondering if there is any need to change things that much. If this is actually when you zoom out and look at the fixture list, you know, even further than just the three games this week, you go actually Guardiola's done quite well at, at managing minutes all the. Like, like the last the last month or so, yeah, and and, and it helps him. Mean, I mean, I know we, we talked about Grealish quite a bit, but everyone's kind of fit now, and it is it's that thing with City squad that it can go because of the size of it. It can go from looking like if there are three injuries, it looks tiny. If if there's one injury or everyone's fit, it's like oh, there's options everywhere because it's talented players, it's guys who can play in a number of different roles. Yeah, Copenhagen feels like probably like about a four changes game for me. Like yeah, say. Alvarez and for De Bruyne. If we're assuming Doku doesn't start the derby, he probably starts that one. Um, there was all those Champions League group games, the, the away group games where it was strong teams, but like Nunes and Rico Lewis started within them. That, that sort of thing, I reckon. Yeah, not quite, not quite Sergio Gomez level though. That's the that's the, that's the thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, um, obviously, if you're going to have a left back bombing on down the outside, playing on the wing. Sergio Gomez is your perfect man, isn't he? It really is a mystery. <laughs> uh, maybe he's just not. Maybe he's just not as good as anybody else. That's the. Uh, <laughs> that, that, maybe or, that's the mystery solved. Or it's not a mystery at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's get some predictions. We didn't have any winners on last week's charity bet, uh, so we're still on eight hundred eighty-five pounds for the season so far. We're raising money for the Man City fans food bank support group. They're collecting for Manchester Central Food Bank, and they'll be back outside the Etihad ahead of the derby. They'll be under the bridge near Asda until about three o'clock. So uh, please drop them a donation if you can. William Hill is giving us three £10 correct score singles to try and add some money into the kitty for them as well. Um, we're going to start with the derby, which uh, you two have lost your absolute minds on this one. I've gone for a 3-1 City win uh, because uh, that's about as comfortable as I can get in this sort of situation, uh, which is 9-1 to one and £90. Uh, Joe, tell us what you've done and why. Uh, I've gone slightly more optimistic for a 4-1. Um, I just think Harland having his shooting boots back um, I, I'm I'm confident. I don't. Th- I'm not going to say Harlan hat trick, but I think he'll score a, a brace maybe. 
Um, so yeah, slightly more, slightly more optimistic than yourself. Yeah, fourteen to one and one hundred and forty pounds. Uh, Dom, uh, entertainers, <laughs> absolute, absolute hubris going on here. <laughs> this is being recorded. Um, yeah, right. So predicting derbies is a mugs game. It always has been. So just ask that fan on the two thousand and four coverage. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Yeah, <laughs> look at me making fun of him earlier. So I thought, um, slightly inspired by our good friend Casey, who predicts six one on every single bet he ever has. I thought I'd pick an iconic Manchester Derby scoreline. I've gone for 5-1. Uh, 5-1 is 28-1 to 1 and 280 quid if you're right. I hope you are. No disrespect As I say, <laughs> that's not an entirely serious prediction. And when you tweet that out and tag me, it'll be entirely devoid of context. And I'm going to look a right knobhead. But <laughs> yeah, there is are. that. There is yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, you've made a rod for your own back here. It's like you've made your bed lying it. So here we go. Made a um, rod three for my own back. You have. Oh, and that's a terrible pun. And it's going to yeah, yeah. probably stay in the edit. So, uh, oh, yeah. it sounded borderline, didn't it? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Copenhagen then. Uh, Dom, what are you having? Uh, I've, I've come back down to planet Earth and said 2 0. Yeah, welcome home. It's six to one and sixty pounds if you're right. Um, I've gone for a two-one city win. That's uh, ten to one and hundred quid. Uh, Joe's still living somewhere in in the outer reaches of uh, of the Milky Way. Because what have you gone for? I've gone. I've gone three-two. Um, I think that this game reeks of being comfortably in the lead, taking off a few key players, and complacency station taking control. And we give up a one or two pretty stupid goals at the end of the game that ultimately don't matter, but will not mean a clean sheet. Oh, actually, I'd not even read it like that, but now, now you've said it like that, I can get behind that, and it's, uh, it's that, 33 that, to 1. That's longer yeah. odds than 5-1 in the derby. It is, 33 to 1, 330 <laughs> pounds if you're <laughs> that right. Is, that so. is mad when you put it that way. Yeah, so uh, fingers crossed. Uh, good luck, everyone. Uh, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information about responsible gambling, take a look at BeGambleAware.org. Now then, over the weekend, Gary Neville got a bit of a reaction for his blue billion-pound bottle jobs line during the League Cup final. From a City point of view, I saw some mild annoyance online that City often gets unfavourable mentions in the commentary. So this week, we've decided to reflect on some of the more iconic lines said during City's matches of the past. Iconic commentary often comes with iconic moments. Balotelli, Aguero! That's Martin Tyler in 2012, but we're not really focusing on the moments where commentators shout a player's name. We want lines like this. I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. So watch it, drink it in. And that takes us back to 2004 and another Martin Tyler commentary over a last-minute winner, but this time he's helped out by Andy Gray. There's just a bit of tugging on Macken. He scored! Oh, John Macken! Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Depleted, but delighted. Well, I've seen it. But I still don't believe it. That's an iconic line from the co-commentator. Here's another. Vincent Company thought about hitting it the first time. And he ignores it. He goes a bit further forward. Wow. Where do you want your statue, Vincent Company? There's something about those one-liners that can stand out. Here's the late Gerald Sinstad commentating over an iconic Manchester Derby goal. Lee. Pulled across for Law. That was a decisive late goal. Here's one that put the icing on the cake in a Manchester derby. And step forward Alan Parry to nail the commentary. Final charge perhaps by Manchester City. By Phillips. Oh my word! Some final charge, wasn't it? He 
think it's the good night there that makes that one. Probably because you don't hear it too often. John Champion pulled that same trick with this Georgie King Clancy goal in 1996. And Clancy will try and beat his man and suddenly space opens up. Still King Clancy inside the penalty area. How many times have you heard the word mesmeric in commentary since that goal? Here's a similar one from Hugh Johns in 1974. The pacing on that line is good too, but we'll come back to that in a bit. First, here's more superlatives. Marvellous getting a run out here from Clive Tildesley. Early cross, chance of the far post. And he rounds that off with, where did Hinchcliffe come from? He's the left back, remember. But perhaps the better line from that commentary game comes after Ian Bishop's goal. It's just so simple. That one word, already, tells you so much about the game. Gerald Sinstad does the same thing here, with a nice bit of repetition thrown in before it. A touch of the real Rodneys. Oh, what a goal that was. He teased and he teased and he teased, and then he thrashed it. Bang! Now back to the pacing, and sometimes the way the commentator interacts with the crowd helps as well. Rob Hawthorne's commentary over Mark Kennedy's goal at Blackburn in the year 2000, the one that pretty much sealed promotion, was perfect for that. Dick off here looking to secure a win, and Kennedy probably has gone! That brief pause while you hear the crowd celebrate Kennedy's goal is just chef's kiss perfect. And as this favourite line for so many shows, it doesn't always need a goal for some good commentary. Step forward Guy Mowbray on Match of the Day from last year's Manchester derby at the Etihad. Alex Ferguson was asked in 2009 if City could ever go into a derby as favourites. He said, not in my lifetime. Now it's every time. If it was ever in doubt, you could win the City fans over with a good bit of burting, as that shows. But one of the most iconic lines of commentary in football history comes over a goal that was scored against City. Francis Lee returned to Main Road with Derby, and Barry Davis treated us to this. Lee, interesting. Very interesting. Oh, look at his face. Just look at his face. The way Davis's voice breaks there just suits the goal perfectly. With so many of these lines of commentary, you can see the goal in your mind's eye easily. Maybe because they go so well together, or maybe because you've just watched them over and over and over again. Either way, even though it doesn't always feel like it, City do also have their fair share of moments from the commentary box. I'm Clyde Tilsley. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, Barmy Night, Barcelona, all that. Yeah, that Clyde Tilsley. Um, you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Enjoy. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was a look at some iconic pieces of commentary. I'm going to have to come to you to uh, to kind of get your favourites because um, like there's there's goals that that you watch that are, that are great goals. There are goals then that you can just remember because of the commentary line. Uh, so, Joe, any for you from the past that stand out? 
Yeah, so I've got one. Um, I've got a couple, but the one the one that sort of first stood out to me is the one um, in the 2014 Champions League group stage v Bayern, um, where we went. We we basically brought it back from being two one down against Pep Guardiola's side to um, win three two with an Aguero hat trick, and. On the on commentary for that game was I can't remember who is alongside. It was probably Peter Drury because it normally is, but it's Andy Townsend. And as it and as it went in, as the third goal went in, Andy Townsend like genuinely just shouts "Get in!" as it yeah. goes in, <laughs> which is which is which is I, I, which I loved it as honestly. It was, it was the first time for for that I can remember where it, I'd sort of felt like the commentators wanted City to win. Like obviously Andy Townsend's, I've heard him be like quite sort of giddy about Chelsea wins and United wins in the past but this was kind of the first time where I was like oh like this guy actually wants City to win like this is this is nice this must be how <laughs> this, this must be how other people feel um my other one um is a bit it, it's a bit cheeky it's not really a it's not really a single line of goal celebration but it's um, Manchester City v Burnley in 2019 the um the infamous Ashley Barnes game where Liverpool fans were all changing the profile pictures to Barnes to <laughs> will them onto a victory for title race Aguero scored in the thir- 63rd minute and um Carragher on co-commentary did not say a single word for the rest of the game um, so that was that was that was quite nice excellent Dom any any standout for you I mean the, the one we always talk about Rob Hawthorne at Blackburn so I'm, I'm praying you might have a, a might have a mention for him I was I was simply like so you had the Mark Kennedy bit on the trail there um the little bit after that where he just starts talking about everything that's happening um about Kennedy running to Joe Royal and Nicky Weaver's cartwheel show and the celebrations now can start in earnest Manchester City will be playing Premier League football next season but like I, that cry, is just, I, I still cry at that bit I can't help it I don't know what so it is good. Yeah. it's 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 that Richie Benno thing of like you know you don't have to say too much. You don't have to think you've got, you know, I mean, and this might might bring us to the blue billion pound bottle jobs thing and um, the lead commentator who might be inspiring Neville to be a little more flowery with his language this season, shall we say. Sometimes just saying what has happened is brilliant because the fact that City would be playing Premier League football next season at that point in their history after what had just happened was like, that is something else. And it didn't need sort of Nicky Weaver being compared to Nadia Comaneshi or anything because he's doing a flip around. <laughs> it was just that this is what is happening and this is seismic. And yeah, I think there's, um, I like that sort of brevity, the sort of like the, the confidence to sort of let the moment breathe a little bit. And I, I say, I, th- I say we, we have spoken on this previously. This is a long bit on the Patreon show that is like, the, that is the basically the, the Rob Hawthorne fan club episode that, he tends to get them sort of things right, which is maybe why he doesn't get the really big commentary gigs that some others do. I don't know. Yeah, they, uh, th- there's one that stands out for me, and it, it's it, I didn't use it in the feature because it, it doesn't like it didn't really. You want to talk about it now? I want to talk about it now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but also it doesn't really flow because they lost the game ultimately. They, they, it was the the Hamburg game in in 2008. Uh, Peter Drury on uh, commentary for the home leg. Do you know um, what? For all I've just said about Drury, he was great on the Hamburg he, game, wasn't he? He was great on the Hamburg <laughs> game because there was uh, Alano hit the crossbar and uh, from a free kick and he um he, he shouted something like uh, that crossbar will vibrate for half an hour just for the for the sheer power that he'd hit it with <laughs> um when he's when Alano's running up to take the penalty uh, he says um city need this boy do they need this Alano and then he scores and it's like he, he just nails that one um Caicedo scored to make it 2-1 and then he shouts it's in and it's on and then Alano hits the post from a from a free kick, um, and it's the way he then says, "Oh, and he's hit the post this time." And it just like everything in that game 
came together and, and he soundtracked the game perfectly. And and yeah, so 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 think about what you've said, Dom. And, and <laughs> you could you, no, but you could maybe say there he was turning it up to eleven, just reacting to what was happening in a crazy game of football in in an atmosphere that is still talked about to this day. I think if we were going to do like a bingo card of things City fans say and your York away still being like house. Um, I think I've reinvented the rules to bingo here. Anyway, Hamburg, <laughs> Hamburg at home and Etienne atmospheres is like, it's the one that everyone always says. And yeah, he's great there. I don't think with Peter Drury is, everyone loved like all the clips and things like that from when he's commentating in America, but it's every week it's a, it, it can be a lot. But um, yeah. yeah, myself and my old housemates still, and this isn't the City game. Do you remember his commentary on um, South Africa scoring in the first game of the... 2010 World Cup they a, host, a goal yeah. for Africa a goal for all Africa yeah a, yeah. a goal Bafana Bafana yeah goal for Africa <laughs> goal for all Africa and then he goes Jabu Lila rejoice which <laughs> is entirely unspontaneous but do you know what it was absolutely mega loved it yeah madness absolute madness right well that's it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast thank you very much for listening and thanks also to my guests Dom Farrell thank you mate and Joe Butterfield Cheers, thank you very much. There is a clip of Monday's Nostalgia Show coming up. That's available now for Patreon backers. I'll be back next week to review the derby and look ahead to the dreaded trip to Anfield. See you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. Shea Given had been a number one. Um, he was surprisingly dropped at the start of that season uh, for, for this game. Can you remember what you thought about that at the time, Dom? It felt great to see him there, but then you instantly think, oh God, what if he has a shocker? And it turns out he puts in a, a performance that is absolutely in the conversation for the best Premier League goalkeeper performance we've ever seen. Because it, yeah. it's nil-nil, Tottenham should win 5 nil. There's... Um, there is, <laughs> There are so many saves from this game. There's a brilliant save just before the Asukata one, like from Jermaine Defoe at close range. He like hits on the turn. And obviously, you know, Defoe was a guy who was clinical in front of goal. Um, absolutely lethal. That's a great save. Um, I was wondering if I would be like doing a bit of a vibes thing of picking a long range save on a goalie. But I'm, <laughs> I'm so glad the connoisseur has gone with me on this Asukata one because... There's, a, there's the idea that, you know, as a goalie, you would always back yourself to save something from 25, 30 yards out. But... He absolutely welts this one, and it's swerving and dipping, and it's, defle- it's deflected as well. It, like yeah. it hit yeah. right Phillips. So like like the idea that um, like he, he, the trajectory halfway through this shot changes, and he still yeah. gets up to it. Yeah, and he's backpedaling because it's just been a corner. It's 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 stout this world. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast, and join us again next time for another episode. <laughs>